0: Welcome to How Leaders Lead, where every week you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I break down the key learnings so that by the end of the episode, you'll have something that you can apply as you develop into a better leader. That's what this podcast is all about. Today's guest is Ethan Brown, founder and CEO of Beyond Meat. Now you're going to hear a lot of leaders and they'll talk about changing the world, but that is literally Ethan's mission at Beyond Meat. His company is devoted to getting the same protein as animal meat straight from plants so that they can reduce climate change, improve human health, and help animal welfare. Now, if that isn't an epic mission, I don't know what is. And you know, when you listen to Ethan, you realize just how powerful his sense of purpose is. It's the driving force behind the incredible product development of Beyond Meat. It's what influences their marketing and competitive strategy it's also a huge piece of their team culture. That sense of purpose is like the ultimate source of renewable energy. Now, of course, your sense of purpose is gonna vary, but great leaders know how to use purpose as motivation when the going gets tough or they need to reach a big goal. Ethan does this exceptionally well and with so much intelligence and humility to boot So let's dig in and see how great leaders tap into the power of purpose. Here's my conversation with my good friend and soon to be yours, Ethan Brown. Ethan, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us.
1: Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Uh, As you know, I'm a a big fan of of your work and have followed your your career and and, uh, read a lot of your work. And so just really appreciative to be here.
0: You know, Ethan, I'd like to just start out by having you give us a basic primer. What is Beyond Meat and what kind of products are you making today?
1: Sure. So, so Beyond Meat uh, is a protein company. And what we do is instead of running uh, plant material and water through animals, we instead extract the core parts of meat directly from the plant. And we use a system of heating, cooling, and pressure to align those in the architecture of muscle or meat. And so if you think about what the animal is doing, they're consuming a lot of vegetation and a lot of water, and they use their biology to organize that in the form of muscle, which is familiar to us as meat. But what we're doing is taking those core parts of, of meat, which are amino acids, lipids, trace minerals, vitamins, and, of course, water, directly from plant material, and we are organizing those against the blueprint or architecture of meat. So we're building meat directly from plants. And for us, it's been an 11-year journey. We're getting closer and closer. But we do believe there'll be a day when we'll be able to provide a product to consumers that is indistinguishable from animal protein, and it provides terrific and nutritious protein for the center of the plate.
0: I understand that your dad, you know, he was a professor, but he actually grew up on a farm, and he he had a farm when you were a kid. It, it was basically his his
1: hobby. Yeah.
0: D- did that have any influence on you, Ethan?
1: Oh, yes, it did. It did. And my father, more generally, I've been very fortunate to to enjoy a great relationship with him, and he's actually still teaching. He's at McGill in Montreal, and and. Uh, you know, early on, um, you know, he's an interesting, interesting person. He grew up in what was at the time rural Connecticut. And uh, uh, my grandfather, um, his father was a minister and um, had the opportunity to, to be the chaplain at, at a couple of different colleges. And so they, they, they moved a bit in, in, in New England uh, doing that. Um, but it was always in beautiful rural areas. And so when it came time for him to pursue his career, he really had to um, decide how to balance his desire to be in the outdoors and in nature with his career ambitions, which were were pretty significant around uh, academia. And so... Um, you know, he, he, when he, he, he got his, uh, degree in philosophy from Columbia. And at the time he set the, uh, the record for finishing his coursework, uh, because he just couldn't stand being in New York city. <laughs> so, he, and that's very unusual for a young person to, to behave that way. Right. To, to think, I just got to get out of the city. And, uh, and so that sort of stuck, that kind of urgency to be out in the outdoors stayed with him throughout my childhood. And so though we grew up in Washington, D.C. Uh, and then later in College Park, Maryland. Uh, we have a farm uh, in the western part of the state of Maryland that became a, a retreat for us. And, and uh, my father's a bit entrepreneurial himself. And so uh, instead of it just being a kind of casual hobby farm, he turned it into a dairy operation with our neighbor. Up there, and so I did have a lot of time spent there, and had an interesting childhood where I was, um, you know, growing up in the city, but also having these uh, long stretches of time out in the country. And, and so I think I really learned a lot through that process, and informs my thinking today.
0: My uh, mother, she actually lived on a farm, and I could see the schoolhouse that they went to about a mile okay. away. Oh, know, we used great. to go. I still can smell the the the, the, the uh, tractor smell. I mean, it's always it's <laughs> like in my mind,
1: or the or the sound it, of a chainsaw, or It just brings you right back. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. You know, is it true? I read this somewhere that you were actually a fast food junkie. That's music to my ears. <laughs> by the way, but uh, so is it true that you really like the like fast food?
1: It's more on target than that. So I I. I have uh just terrific memories of being on the chesapeake bay uh and we used to get a, a big bucket of kfc and take it out uh on the bay and and just have a great day sailing and enjoying uh kfc chicken and so you know my first date was at mcdonald's um and uh you know, I, I grew up really enjoying that, and I think it's, it's great food and it's great uh, you know, experience to, to, to be able to, to get affordable food like that. And so for me, Beyond Meat has never been about uh, high-end chefs or um, you know, uh, five-star restaurants. It's been about how do we meet people in their daily lives where they are and affect the most uh, and highest number of people providing them with nutritious food.
0: Well, I'm really happy that you enjoyed that Kentucky Fried Chicken for a while. <laughs> yeah, now, I understand yeah. that you did become a, a vegan. Yeah. You know what really drove that process?
1: You know, it's interesting. Um, so I, I got into um, energy because I, I, I cared, and I've said this before, but I think it's worth repeating. When I was getting out of school, I was restless, like many young people, and and I, t- I took a lot of different turns trying to figure out exactly how I wanted to express, you know, my commitment to to trying to make this a better world, and and so. I uh, was sitting in my father's office, um, kind of right after school, and I was saying, I, I really want to stop studying right now, and I was in grad school, I want to I just go out and, and enjoy myself, my friends are doing X, Y, and Z, he said, well, let's talk about your career, I said, okay, and he said, you know, I said, what, how should I think about this, he said, well, what's the biggest problem in the world, and you know, it didn't come to me right away, but <clears throat> I said, well, you know, well, I really think it's probably climate, because if if we can't get The climate stabilized. You know, I could be the best lawyer in the world or surgeon in the world or whatever. I could try to aspire to be. Uh, But if the world is destabilized because of the the basic environment in which we live has become unstable, those things are going to be impacted. And it's going to impact everything. So if you ask me what the biggest problem is, I have to say, well, it's probably climate change. And so he said, well, that's probably a a good way to focus your career. And so I did that. I thought that makes sense to me. And so I started to get into... To energy, um, and, uh, and and worked for for a long time in energy. But I began to realize that it wasn't just you know the car we drive or the light bulb we use or the the, the power plant that powers uh, the facilities in which we work. It's also the protein at the center of the plate, and in fact, the protein at the center of the plate is probably a more important solution than anything else we can do in terms of addressing climate. And so. That became a fascination for me. And I said, I got to go out and figure out how we can continue to enjoy the incredible experience of of the the culinary work we've done around uh, animal protein, et cetera, but do it with protein is from plants, and that will make a very significant contribution to climate. Now, I also had other motivations. When you, when you grow up around animals on the farm, it's much harder to think about them as units, right? And so you begin to think about them in their lives. Then you begin to think about, you know, the use of land, energy, and water. And then, uh, of course, human health, right? And so all of those things started to fascinate me. And I became really interested in this one concept, that I could focus on one thing, which is changing the protein at the center of the plate from an animal-based protein to a plant-based protein. And I could simultaneously advance four things that I think are important. That's human health, it's climate change, it's the conservation of natural resources, and lastly, animal welfare. I'd never seen anything in my career, and I still haven't today, where through a singular focus, you can advance four really important objectives. What
0: do you think you do most that improves human health? I want to go through each one of those trends that's very interesting.
1: sure. so I think it's it's and this is it's it's something that's just constantly evolving and so and by the way, you know uh, we, we've worked with KFC as you know, and it's just been a tremendous experience and they are you should be very proud. I mean they're leaning forward in a way that just shows their leadership and Kevin there and I mean it's just it's it's been a remarkable partnership. And so the idea here is let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Let's try to get everything that's great about animal protein, which is there's a lot, right? It's got good sources of protein, et cetera. But you have to also remember that the the muscle which we harvest as meat is there for the animal to do work, just like the muscle in your bicep is there to do work. So not everything in that muscle is going to be great for you if you consume it every day. Right, And so let's find a way to capture everything that's great in that and reduce the things that aren't. And so we think about our products have no cholesterol. They have lower saturated fat. They have no heme iron. They have no amines. So all of these things that are, are increasingly of concern in the metal community, we can strip out. And so for me, we actually trademark this. We feel so passionate about it. Eat what you love. If you love having burgers, if you love having chicken, go ahead and keep doing it, but we're going to do it in a way that's better for you. And that's where plant-based meat comes into play.
0: Well, how do you, how do you Ethan, respond to the criticism that you get that the food is too processed?
1: Yeah, it's a great, I really appreciate the question because it is an important perspective that we have to do a lot of education around. And, you know, with the, the COVID-19 uh, disruption that's happened to our economy, we've taken a pause on that. But 2020, really will be about for us clarifying with the consumer what it means to to think about our process. And so first and foremost, I really believe it's a tale of two processes. If you look at our process, we're stripping the protein from the plant. And how do we do that? It's pretty basic. So we have a supplier now that does this for us. But but what happens is, let's say I'll take um, peas. So the peas are milled. So you have a flour. And then you place that flower in, literally in water, you change the pH level of that water. You could do that with a lemon if you wanted to. And that separates the fiber and the protein. The protein is extracted and it's dried. And then we run that through heating, cooling and pressure. And that's essentially resetting the bonds from the organization that they would have in a plant to one that's more analogous to one that they would have in muscle. That's kind of our process. Now, you have to juxtapose that with the other process, which is to feed a lot of material to an animal, use the animal's biology uh, to, to convert all of that into muscle, and then you harvest the animal or slaughter the animal. There are a lot of steps in that that consumers are increasingly uncomfortable with, including the use of antibiotics and things like that. So we're able to skip all of that. So I think it's important to think about, you know, process is simply a word, and it's actually, if you look it up, it's a series of steps towards a goal, right? So process is neutral, and I think there's been some clever marketing uh, among incumbent members of industry to suggest that just because there's a process involved, that's somehow bad. I think it's important to step back and say, okay, what is the process?
0: Yeah, that's a great point, point. You know, and we, I want to talk a little bit more about that later. The, the second trend that you're addressing, which you already brought up, was the whole issue of climate change. What would be the biggest thing you're doing that's going to impact that?
1: It's really around um, the more efficient uh, conversion of plant material to meat. And so if you look at, uh, if you take a burger, for example, that's created through our process, and you take a burger that's created through the normal process of running the plant material through the animal, we have 90% fewer greenhouse gas emissions. And that just has to do with a, a lot of efficiencies along the way. And so just like in business, operations courses, microeconomics courses, the goal here is to de-bottleneck the production of protein. And the big bottleneck in protein production is the animal. And if you can extract that from the process, you gain these efficiencies, which then afford these environmental benefits. And that's what's happening with us.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. The the other thing that you're attacking, Ethan, is uh, addressing global resource. Yeah. Constraints. You know, how are you doing that?
1: Yes, yeah, so I would also be remiss to not bring up, uh, you know, your alma mater at, um, at Missouri and the work you've done there. And, and so let me just take a second to do that.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. We
1: wouldn't be having this conversation if we're not for that university. Um, I, I just can't say enough good things about the people there and, and the values they have. Um, the reason I brought that up in this context is that America has these terrific land-grant universities. Missouri is one of them. University of Maryland is another one. I worked with both of them uh, to form this company. And Hmm. uh, it's, I think, a really interesting um, outcome that two universities who have strong ag programs help to develop a company that will, I think, bring the next revolution to agriculture in terms of making it more efficient, right? And so if you think about the efficiency of our system, we're using 99% less water to produce a burger, right? we're using 93% less land, right? So the benefits there are are, are really quantifiable. And so our goal is then to make sure that we're not asking you as a consumer going to KFC or or going to the Taco Bell or uh, or going into any of these uh, institutions to make a sacrifice because we know how consumers are, right? We have to continue to delight them and that's why I do admire what Tesla has done, right? They've taken something that's a social issue, and they've made it alluring. They've said, we're going to create cars that you're going to want to drive. You're going to seek this out. We have to do that at Beyond Meat, and I think we're on our way to doing that.
0: Yeah, we learned that many times. You know, people do not want to compromise on taste. They don't. You know, they. they you know, people want it all. They don't want to make the compromise. So you can talk about being more nutritious and you know, affecting climate change and all that. But if it doesn't taste good, you know, done. Pe- pe- people aren't going to eat it. You
1: don't, you're not going to get the ticket in your hand to have the conversation. You you have yeah. you, you, you got to make it taste great, and that's okay. I mean, that's fine. Look, I mean, the, the original, you know, Biz Stone is, uh, is a friend and one of our early investors. And years ago when we were starting out, we used to talk about this, that, that food is one of the, uh, you know, original uh, social media, right? It was what we all gather around to talk and meet and and share our day and, and things of that nature. And so we want to enjoy it and that's fine. We will fail if we don't delight the consumer. And we have to keep that uh, front and center of everything we do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the other trend that you're talking about is improving animal welfare. You know, that's pretty self-explanatory if you're a cow, but but give me your perspective on it.
1: Well, I just think it's, it's you know, we've, we've innovated around so much in our life and I, I love innovation. I'm very passionate about it. I think this is a story of American innovation that's, that's as neat as any um, in the sense that, uh, we're taking something that we all think is, is a good, you know, we, we really enjoy that, that center of the plate protein, um, and we're trying to make it better. And so, you know, we're not uh, doing this over a telegram. Um, we're not, uh, you know, doing it over a, a landline. Uh, we're doing it over something that is eclipsed all of those. And that's the process of innovation. Nobody had to um, lambast or denigrate the landline to make the mobile phone popular, Right, and so we don't really have to beat up on the old system. We just have to make something that's better. And so, uh, you know, if you can create meat without using the animal, I think very few people would say that's not a good idea. You know, like let's let's try to do it. Um, And I think I think we can, and that then takes uh, the the moral question off the table. And that's something I'm very happy to do you've
0: got some really altruistic things that you're trying to do here. Which one of these global trends do you think is most important that you just talked about? Is, is it climate change?
1: Well, I can tell you where the consumer is. The consumer um, comes to us first over health, uh, for sure. Um, and then uh, there's a, a halo uh, that uh, can develop around the fact that you're doing something that's great for your body, but also uh, can, can be really good for, for, for the earth. But it's interesting Uh, there's some demographic trends, right? So 40 and older, uh, definitely health is a driver, but young people looking at the folks like Greta and others that are, you know, protesting over climate, they're coming to it first because of the environment. Now, we have to always say, like, we got to get taste first, right? We've got to really delight the consumer. Second, nutrition. People think that plant-based eating is healthier. Don't disappoint them. You know, don't have it turn out that there's something in there that's not good for them or that the, you know, the levels of X, Y and Z, you know, are, are in excess or something. Make sure it really is healthier. And so we do a ton of work on that. And, you know, we work with Stanford. We work with a bunch of different uh, institutions on constantly looking at how do we make our products healthier and healthier. And so, but, but, but first and foremost, that is that consumer coming uh, after us for, for health.
0: Now, of course, everyone today is concerned about infectious disease that is created from animals, Mm. and this has to make your products even more on trend. Uh, What are you hearing from consumers on that front?
1: You do hear that, and and there have been some op-eds written by, uh, particularly some academics have have written on that point. Um, I think what's happening here is you have to look at the ratio. Um, And I have a terrific chart, which I sometimes show, which is the ratio of humans To livestock on the Earth's surface. And as you grow that human population and if that ratio holds or even increases as the developing world becomes uh, much more interested in eating animal protein, you are reaching very, very quickly the limits of what our ecosystem globally can handle uh, and what the biosphere can handle. You know, you can't have infinite growth in a finite system. That's a pretty simple idea, but that's what we're trying to do. And so we have to somehow break that ratio have to somehow be able to feed the population without growing the livestock numbers, right? And in fact, dramatically reducing them. And so, what you're seeing with some of these things is that we're 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 bumping up against limits of what a ecosystem and bi- biological system can handle. And so, you are seeing whether it's bird flu or what's happening here, uh, you're starting to see those boundaries be uh, be compromised.
0: Ethan, you, you talked about your why you started the company and it seemed to be more of a process than than an aha moment. I mean mm-hmm. did you have did you wake up one night and say, I'm gonna do this? And you no. remember that aha moment or
1: No, no. Um, you know, it's you gotta get uncomfortable about something, I think, sometimes. And I started to get really uncomfortable about this year over year. Um, you know, I just, I, I began to think there's something here in the sense of that you didn't need to use the animal to build meat. And I knew about veggie burgers and things like that. That was never my interest. What I wanted to do was to try to figure out, and this is something I think has helped me in my career. And it's both a plus and a minus, uh, for me for sure, is that I will marinate in problems. In terms of like trying to figure them out right and so that can be really healthy when it's directed toward you know something that's positive like work or but if it can be it can be unhealthy if it's ruminating about something right and so in the sense that i just started to think this isn't the right way to go forward how do we do something different. And year over year, you know, I was in the, in, in the fuel cell industry and I was making great progress. As I mentioned, you know, or you talked about, I was having a great career, right? And, but I just felt like there's an itch that I had to scratch. You know, really when my kids were born and I started to realize the food choices that they were going to have to make, I said, I got to go do this because if I don't do it, I'm going to regret it. And so it was that discomfort really that pushed me over the edge the most.
0: I love the idea of people pursuing things because of just the fear of the lost potential that you have. Well, you took the company public and, you know, you've had enormous success by anybody's standard. You've, you know, obviously you've achieved some tremendous personal wealth, but I know that you, you live a relatively understated lifestyle. You, you, you take Uber when you go on market tours, you don't, you don't take the limos and, and you actually the last I heard is that you drive a 2016 Prius. What's keeping you out of the limos and the, and the Ferraris? I mean, <laughs> how are you staying grounded?
1: So I, I do have to. I have to admit, I finally, I finally did get a Tesla. But um, you know, uh, I don't think I was just raised that way. I think, um, look, I, I was raised middle class, so I had, I had no issues at all with with um, you know material comfort growing up. Um, but very blessed in that way, and. Um, you know I, I look at, at your childhood of moving around and, and just the credible um, uh, resilience and 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 uh, you know, I was very very fortunate uh, to 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 have a middle-class upbringing, um, but we were never the family with the nice cars or, or anything of that nature. And, you know, my, my dad being an academic, I think that, that was kind of his approach. And, and um, you know, look, I'll, I'll buy probably a lot of land, uh, <laughs> things like that, but uh, it's just kind of who you are. And
0: Well, that's great. It sounds like you just might be the Warren Buffett of the food industry. You know? <laughs> I met with Warren and he drives his Lincoln Continental and, you know, he probably drives a Tesla now for all I know. I'll he tell you what, so,
1: so I love Buffett. And so, mm. so it's funny, right? because you wouldn't sort of but the business school that I went to I went to because of him I applied to one business school and uh, and uh, they asked me in the interview for the school they said why do you want to come here and I really hadn't done my homework unfortunately I just knew that you know I really I'd read all Warren's stuff and I read all his, his annual reports and things like that and And uh, I said, "Wow, I want to, what do we want to study? I said, well, I want to study leadership. (laughs) The guy's like, we don't have a leadership program. (laughs) I was like, oh no, I'm not going to get in here. Uh, And so the interview after that went fine. But then I get back to my mother's and uh, I'm walking down the hall. I said, Ethan, you know, the back, your shirt's untucked in the back. I'm like, oh man, I'm not getting in. I should apply to more schools. Anyway, thank God I got in. And and, and Buffett, that whole principle that he has around, you know, uh, simplicity, I find interesting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I love Warren, and you know I think you guys have a lot in common. I didn't know this until I started hearing about your company and reading about it, but but I understand you're targeting flexitarians. I love yes. that phrase. Did did you coin that term itself, and what exactly is a flexitarian?
1: So we didn't coin it ourselves, but here's what it is. Um, so ninety three percent of the people at the nation's largest grocer that buy the Beyond Burger are also putting animal protein in their cart. And that's really important to me in the sense that we're reaching a mainstream audience, right? You know, we, we never set out to reach a niche audience, right? So we want the consumer that is in the main to be buying our products. And that's why the relationships with, with KFC, et cetera, are so important because that's where the mainstream consumer is. and That's where we need to be. And so a flexitarian is someone who's using both animal protein and plant protein.
0: And you know, interestingly your strategy says you don't say don't eat meat. Correct. Uh, you Correct. know you know what you've obviously taken a totally different strategy and
1: Sure it gets back to that example and and you know I had a great opportunity to meet with 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 Bill Ford and and uh uh recently and and um you know I, I really admire what uh, Henry Ford did around the automobile and and uh you know, he didn't, again, he didn't go out and say, you know, the horse is terrible, you know, (laughs) horses, it's all these bad things. He just said, I got a better way to get from A to B, right? And (laughs) we don't say, don't use the phone. Uh, we just say, Hey, we've got a mobile phone that's better than a landline, right? So I just don't think it's, it's, it's necessary to be negative. You look at all the great leaders in the world, you know, and and I've listened to your podcasts and they're they're great. And some of the traits that you hear, you know, I was listening to your Tom Brady one, like who wouldn't listen to that, right? And, uh, and you know, it's that positivity. It's it's like you can be hard on yourself. You can be so hard on yourself, but like don't, you know, don't walk around being negative, right? And so we just don't carry that with us. You know, we, we say we, we think great. we have a better solution. When
0: I heard about KFC launching a plant-based uh, chicken product in Atlanta, and, and I know there were just lines just you waiting know, yeah. up, waiting so people trying to get into. They just had to try it. So I, I called Kevin Hockman, the president of KFC and the R&D people. I said, can you give me a product showing on this? I, you know, so I went to, to the KFC uh, Restaurant Support Center. I tried your first product. And I have to tell you, Ethan, I just didn't really like it. It was a little too chewy <laughs> for me. Then I tried your latest version. Yeah. And it had all the characteristics of whole muscle chicken. I thought it was really, really so much better. And this happened within a span of like six months. Are you making that kind of rapid technology gains across all the meat categories?
1: Yes, we are. And, and, you know, I'm the first one to be totally dissatisfied with our products. Right. So, um, you know, the process for me is one that's difficult in the sense that what's on the shelves today, I think is good, but. What we have in our labs is so much better, and I can't wait to get it out to the consumer. And the, and the challenge is, it takes takes a while to do that, right? But yes, I think that rapid iteration is very common within our within our, our company. And and what we we do is we have a very structured approach to that, which is called the Beyond Meat Rapid and Relentless Innovation Program. And it's that idea that if you marinate in the issue, if you can get yourself lost in the issue, if you can, you know, and, and there's some great books on this, and and you know. The, It's just if you're leading a company, set aside time to read because it just refreshes your perspective on things and you can gain so much insight. So one of the books that's made a big impact on me is Insisting on the Impossible, and it's about Edwin Land and the work that he did around Polaroid and how to create that environment where people can actually get lost in their work. They might forget to eat, man. they might forget to shower because they're so intensely focused on how do I make this product better, right? And if you can bring that intensity every single day you'll see incredible progress. Now, if you're caught up in Gantt charts and spreadsheets all the time and long processes, I and mean, one of the things that I think is shocking to people when they come here is they'll come and they'll say, it's gonna take us two months to do this. they say, well, how do you do it in two weeks? And we're serious. And, we're, and we'll say, okay, and they say, well, we can't. I say, well, what resources do you need, right? And they say, well, I, you know, go get them, right? And that's the kind of approach we have here.
0: Yeah, that's great. Michael Land, you know, who did create Polaroid, you know, did a, you know, a great idea. But it didn't really flourish, to be honest with you. Yep. You know, how are you going about the process of building a sustainable growth uh, company? And you know, a lot of times people have ideas and yep. then boom, you know, it doesn't really take off and sustain itself. So you don't you don't really want to be a Polaroid.
1: <laughs> no, correct. And and so there's there's a lot of other examples. And there's a great book recently, which I've become friends with the author by a guy named Safi Bakal. It's called Loon Shots. And Part of the process of of just staying ahead and and leading and creating a category is to have a healthy sense of to be terrified, right? <laughs> to be paranoid. You know how how do you stay? And that's been with my whole life. How do you how do you stay ahead, right? How do you? And I don't know where it comes from. Some people have it, some people don't. But like, you know, I, I have that fear, right? Of of not delivering on what I'm trying to do, right? And, and if you carry that with you, right, you'll, you'll be successful if you work hard enough, right, and you know, obviously some capability. But um, I think with cases like um, Blockbuster and, and, you know, there's so many examples, skeletons that, are, that just didn't react and adapt, I don't care about the technology we use. I'm agnostic not I'm an engineer. So if what we're doing isn't working as well as something else out there, I will throw it in the trash and I will get the best approach possible. Right? So you got to be agnostic and not fall in love with a particular approach. Right? So if you, want to, if you want to have the best picture in the world, you shouldn't care whether it comes on a film that you have to shake or something that's digital. You should be focused on that best picture.
0: Yeah, that's great. You know, the, the KFC R&D team led by VJ Sukumar, yep. you know, when I met with them, they were blown away by your research team. They said you had over 100 scientists. You probably yeah. had more than that. Okay. But your, your, your head of R&D is from Iran you have over 50 PhDs, you've got leaders from Vietnam, India. How do you lead such a diverse and high IQ group of people? What what kind of skills does it take for you to have, uh, to work with a scientist who stereotypically or head down looking in their Petri dishes? Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> so it's funny. I mean, first of all, it gets to some of the things that you've written a lot about, it's respect, respect for people, you know. Um, and uh, um, I really respect them, and I think they respect me, and, and um, it's, a, it's a dance, you know. I mean, we're, I'm pushing them so hard, and they're, they're, they're pushing back, and, and we're, but we're, we're so committed to this objective. And uh, so many of them came out of biomedical, where they're working on, you know, uh, uh, trying to, to, to treat cancer, for example. And, and now they feel, you know, if you think about, you know, uh, let food be thy medicine... Uh, now this is a way of, of hopefully uh, helping people live healthier lives. And so um, – but there's, fun, there's been funny things along the way. Uh, I once hung up a – when I was in graduate school, there was a poster in one of our computer rooms that was – I loved it. It was a picture of an apartment building probably in New York, Chicago, something like that. And there was one light on with one person sitting in front of their computer. And it just said very simply underneath, somewhere someone is working harder at your idea than you are, right? And I couldn't find the poster. So I just got some canvas, and I had it typed out on the canvas, said that, that quote, and I hung it in our innovation lab. <laughs> the head of innovation at that point came up and said, you know, either a lot of people are asking who's working harder than us. I said, no, no, it's like a, it's like a metaphor. You know, it's like a, just a way to stay hungry. He said, oh, okay, okay. They came back, <laughs> he, came, he came back and he said, "Isn't they still kind of want to know. They're kind of like insulted that you think there's someone out there who's working harder. Okay. I, said, I said, no, think about it this way. Think about it as like something would be hanging in a locker room. He said, a lot of these guys have never been in a locker room. (laughs) <laughs> I said, "Okay, I'll take it down. <laughs> I'll take it down." But uh, <laughs> so I took that down. Uh, but uh, it's just—I think I'm going to put it up in my office. <laughs> I love it. It's a great quote. And so, so it's that mentality. You know, we just have fun together. Uh, we work so hard together. I have such respect for their intellect. And
0: I know you're a big believer in, in the fail fast mindset. Yeah. You know, how do you really drive that deep in your culture?
1: Uh, Personal, personal experience. You know, I have failed a lot of things, um, uh, and uh, so I know that it's okay to fail. Um, I think it's actually people who have failed uh, are better leaders. You know, they really are. Um, uh, so I think it's 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 about um, effort. You know, if you're if you're putting in the effort and you're using the very best of your capabilities to try to do something and you fail, God bless you. If you're not putting forward the effort and you can't do something, you'll be very uncomfortable here. You know, and that's, that's, the, that's the kind of culture we have. And so as long as someone, if you see them grinding and working and they make a mistake, fine. Or if they are so afraid of failing that they bury you in spreadsheets and in analysis and everything else where you just aren't willing, you can't move, right? They're also not going to do well here. So it's a, it's a culture that we put a lot of emphasis on speed, we reward risk-taking, and we're okay with failing.
0: You obviously believe that culture is critical to your success. Are you doing anything really different on that front? Are you trying to drive a behavior that you're not going to see in most companies?
1: Um, you know, I think it's intensity. Uh, it's, it's intensity. Um, is, is I think intensity, respect for one another, accountability, ownership, all of those things are really important here. Um, it's also a sense it's a privilege to work here. I know I feel blessed to be doing what I'm doing. Like, I really do, and I feel lucky. Um, uh, And I think I want other people here to feel that way too. It's a special place to be, and and I want them to carry that with them. Um, I don't know that every company feels that way.
0: you're a tremendous learner obviously that's coming through so clear in this conversation and you know a friend of mine told me that you're a big fan of the Got Milk marketing campaign yeah. and that you actually hired the person who created it and i was thinking about this you know that was a long time ago this this person must definitely be a senior citizen i uh, is, is this true that did you uh, hire that yeah, person I did. and what's your thinking behind
1: it i did he's a good friend of mine jeff manning um and so he was on the california milk board and was wrote the original brief i think for um uh, for the advertising firm that did that, um, which I think was umlyden and kennedy, I think um and so yeah, so he and I worked together for years and we're still still close um, i i just I was amazed uh, as a young person that you could go into schools and and uh, gyms and 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 that a particular protein could advertise directly to children in that in that in in that environment and uh so I wanted to learn about that program but it also had a, an important element that was was really uh, vital to how we positioned our company. It was positive, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I used to get in arguments with uh, marketers who would say, you know, you, you really need to bring out some clinical nutritionists to, to tell people about how healthy this is. You need to market directly to mom in a really clear way. Um, and I said, no, I want to use athletes to do it. And so, well, uh, you know, first of all, you know, had this there's just you know you go to any marketing you go to kellogg or something like that the, the the business school they'll say well traditional paradigms mom is shopping in the supermarket so you should tailor all your marketing to her and i said well i don't know um i had this really distinct experience when i was a kid where my mom was walking in the supermarket and i was with her and our football coach and i wasn't a great football player i was very thin and uh, but i played my brother was was pretty big, and he matured earlier than I did, and everything is older than me. And uh, he walked by, and he said, "You know, you are you serving those two boys steak, you know, like something like that." To her. I think exactly those words. Nice, you know, he's sort of chatting with my mom, and that made a big impression on me. That type of thinking that 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 there's this link between animal protein and masculinity. And that if you don't consume animal protein, somehow you're less masculine, right? And so I wanted to attack that at its core. And so I wanted to use the Got Milk campaign as a model that said, look, let's help people understand that it's the amino acids they're consuming and the protein itself, not the origin, right, that is important, right? And so I wanted the very best performing athletes in the world to start using our product and then go tell people about it and then you know what that does that arms mom with the information she needs to get the rest of the table on board so when she brings home a plant-based burger plant-based meat she's not being you know uh mocked by, by her children or by the husband she is uh, uh has the tools she needs to get the rest of the family on board and so that was a very deliberate approach and I think it's worked you know you want to inspire people you don't want to preach at them
0: yeah, that's great. I wanted to ask you your thinking behind having Kyrie Irving and and Lindsay Vaughn and you even have Snoop Dogg. Yeah. and You've got investors like Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, you know, yeah. you, you, you're obviously big into leveraging these big names. Are they coming to you? These people, I I used to work at Pepsi. They'd cost us a fortune yeah. to, to to get them. Are they? How are you signing these people up as uh, brand ambassadors?
1: Yeah. So um, they're, many of them are investors uh, first and foremost, and so that that really helps, right? They. They're, rowing in the same direction with us and um we have a woman who i'm uh, good friends with who also works here called beth moskowitz who is just a tremendous connector of people and and uh, many of them have come through through her and and uh we just really try to create a culture where we're a business for sure we're you know going to create a great return for our shareholders but we're also out to accomplish something that's really important so take i was on a um thing I said a couple of days ago with with Chris Paul take Chris as an example so Chris Paul you know perennial all-star NBA player uh, he's in a 17th season 2020 all- star game he gets a lob dunk from um, from Russell Westbrook Chris is maybe 6'2", right he's 35 right and he's getting up in the air and just throwing that ball down after the game they asked how are you able to do that and he's, one of the things he talks about is he switched to a plant-based diet, and that cuts down on the inflammation in his knees, right? And so, you know, the benefits to athletes for using this. But by the way, that reduction in inflammation is not just good for Chris. It's good if you're 60, if you're 70, and you're maybe battling with, you know, arthritis or with um, heart disease or you know, so many of the diseases that we think are separate are actually related, and some of the things that tie them together have to do with inflammation. And so animal protein, it's well understood now in the medical community that helps to keep inflammation down, right? So if you're Chris, not only are you going to perform better, but hey, by the way, for his folks, you know, this might be a better product for them, right? So there's benefits for him, not only professionally, but also in his community.
0: Hey, Ethan, you are turning me into a flexitarian, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I used to work at Pepsi, and we, we had this intense rivalry with Coke, you know, And it looks to me like you have the makings of this potentially happening with this company called Impossible Foods. How do you view them as a competitor, and and what makes you different?
1: Um, You know this because you're a competitor, too. You know, competition is great, and it's even better when you're winning. (laughs) So... but, uh that is so true. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. people are like, "Oh, do you hate them No, I mean they're a good company they're 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 working hard they're, they're they've got a lot of good people, they're trying to do the right thing. but there is a big difference, and the difference is around this. so I started the company in two thousand and nine uh and you know didn't do it with venture money to begin with. It took several years to get that two and a half rather and uh and so a lot of times we just had to rely on revenue to keep the doors open and everything else and so I was in the stores talking to customers all the time, and one of the things that became really apparent was that uh, people did not want GMOs in their products. They didn't want anything artificial in their product, right? And so you got to think about the mindset of the homo sapien, right? Evolving, and there's some great literature on this, evolving. We were very conservative about what we're willing to put in our mouths, right? Because mistakes would kill us. And we carry that conservatism today. So I don't want to ask any family in America or anywhere else to experiment with their family and their kids on something that's never been in the food supply, so I said, "All right, we're just not going to use genetic modification, right? I believe that there's everything in nature that we need to build meat directly from plants. It's if you if you care enough and work hard enough to find it, and that's what we're doing. It's a massive discovery. It's it's a it's a search throughout the plant kingdom to find all the elements we need. But people, so people want to eat healthier, but they also want to eat like their grandparents because there's conservatism, and so the Big difference between the two companies, right? Is that we've decided not to use genetic modification and they are using it. Not bad they're using it, not a problem they're using it, but that's not what we're doing. And we think that's a better long term bet on where the consumer's going.
0: And then another competitor you have right now is just the meat industry. They're really taking some real cheap shots at you. How do you as a competitor deal with that?
1: So I, I personally don't like that, obviously. Um, you know, and I listen to some of their podcasts and, and, um, you know, uh, it's hard to be beat up in the press and have people take stuff out on you and you got to just develop thick skin. But what bothers me the most about that is, you know, we talked about our farm up in Maryland and, um, on either side of that farm are people that are either currently or have, uh, raised beef cattle, you know, and, uh, I have good relationships with them. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, what's great about this country anyway, is that, you know, if you if there's a topic you don't want to talk about, you can talk about sports. <laughs> you can talk about politics. You know, and so I just don't have to go there with them. And and so for people to, but I like them and I want to be able to return and 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 have nice relationships. And uh, and so I'm not somebody uh, who's antagonistic toward the media industry. You know, I, I don't think it's necessary to be so. Um, and so you've seen me forge relationships with them. Uh, we had a partnership with Tyson. I know John Tyson personally. Um, I think it's a shame. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it myself.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, you know. Right now, I know you're, you, you've talked about your passion of totally replicating the taste and characteristics of meats. What I know right now, because of scale and other reasons, you have a huge cost disadvantage. At least I'm, yep. I'm supposing that is is that something that you're going to have to live with, or what do
1: you see as your opportunity and strategy on that front? I really appreciate asking that question because it's a big passion for me. We should not be more expensive than animal protein. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, right? So we're—you hear me talk about this. You open up a microeconomics textbook; it's bottleneck comes out of production. You get more efficient, you get lower cost, et cetera, right? So we've taken the biggest bottleneck there is in the history of agriculture out of the system, right? And and again, we're not perfect. We're not getting—you know—we're not there yet. We'll, we'll get there to the point where we're indistinguishable. The, the chicken that we'll make two years from now from KFC, if we're lucky enough to still work with them will be much better than the one we're making today, even though the one today is pretty good, right? So we'll get closer and closer, but the, 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 the issue is scale, right? And so there's no material obstacle to us underpricing animal protein. So I made a commitment a year ago that we would underprice animal protein in at least one of our categories of beef, pork, and poultry. And, and we'll do that. And then ultimately, we'll be able to underprice in each category, maybe not every single cut, but the vast majority of them. And, uh, and that's going to be an exciting day because if we get the, the texture right, we get that satiating taste and experience right, and then we drop the price below animal protein. There are very few consumers gonna be like, "Yeah, I'm still not gonna do that."
0: Yeah, I would say so. When you when you can have equal product quality and win on and win on price, that's a pretty good equation. It works for a lot, a lot of people. You know, how how would you describe your management
1: style? Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm definitely more entrepreneur than I am kind of a, a CEO you'd bring in from the outside. Um, I uh, I think management comes down to character um, and and personality and behavior traits, right? And so um, when you work with me, you, you get who I am. There's not a, a management style necessarily that's different from who I am as a person. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you'll get a lot of loyalty from me. Um, you'll get a lot of intensity, uh, a lot of ambition, um you know, I'll, I i really do, as people say it all the time, but I really do try to hire people to, that are a lot better than me at what they do. And uh, I've done that, and uh, that has made all the difference in the world for me. And surround myself with people that are better at what they do than I could be. And so my board is full of very confident people. Mickey, someone we're talking about, is a great example, Right. Uh, he's he's an extraordinary guy. He he's, he knows the field a lot better than I do, and and I got to give him the freedom to do it, and that's what I do.
0: Yeah, that's uh, Mickey Pant who used to be the CEO of Yum China, terrific uh, executive that I actually did a podcast with that you can listen to. You know, Ethan, you you've been described, and you just mentioned it, ambitious. You know, you've been described as massively ambitious. You know, uh, by one of your former bosses. You know, what's behind your ambition?
1: I think it's the it's the desire to try to be of service to a issue that is so important. And once you kind of get a taste of the fact that you can do it, it becomes, uh, enthralling, you know, that you could actually get something done. That's so meaningful. Right. And so I just want to try to do it. And I think I've been very blessed as a child. You know, I wasn't always successful. Like I, um, you know, I wasn't uh, very focused at school when I was young. I, I wasn't until I was in college that I became very academically interested, but I was surrounded by people. My father's a good example. I'd come downstairs early in the morning to get ready for school, you know, be sometimes it'd be as early as 5:30 or something. And it would sound like it's raining in my basement. I'm like, why? What the heck? And so I'd go down there and he was just hanging away on this IBM computer writing whatever book he was writing or whatever. And, uh, And then my my grandfathers were both very, you know, my my grandfather, as I mentioned, was a minister. My other was an entrepreneur and a publisher. I had great role models around me that were successful people and who were leaders. And I think that helped me a lot to say, I wasn't going to check the box in life. I was going to try to go out and do something that was meaningful. But I would say this. I've listened to some of your podcasts. I am not someone who was dreaming of being a leader. I am much more a reluctant leader. I think I'm someone who has, has... found a problem that they feel enough passionate about that they want to solve, that they've been able to articulate a path that other people are willing to follow with them and join them in. But I'm not someone who was you know, sort of dreaming as a kid of being a, you know, a leader. That wasn't me.
0: Now you are a big-time leader. You're a CEO of a publicly traded company. Uh, how are you going about getting better at that?
1: Um, through discussions like this and reading, uh, you know, I, I think um, just learning from others, I, I, I very much agree with the statement that success leaves clues. Um, uh, you know, to be humble, I mean, just be humble. Like, uh, there's a ton that I can learn. And we're all a mix of, of confidence and insecurity. And, and um, you know, it's okay to be insecure about things and, and to try to address them. And so, so much of the, the work of being a better leader at this point is now internal work you know, how do I work through issues within myself that I want to address, right? And the better that I can do that, the more effective I'll be as a leader. I'm less into management books, and I'm more into that process of better understanding why I make the decisions that I make, why I do what I do, so that I can improve on weaknesses and and be a better person and be a better leader as a result. You know, that, talking about books, there's a, a book um, by Robert Sapowski called Behave. It's really, it's, it's frigging long and and uh, it's, it's too long, but it's about why we do what we do from a neurological perspective. And it's fascinating. And so for me, the next stage of leadership is better understanding uh, you know, human behavior, including my own.
0: With this whole coronavirus, uh, you know, a lot of people have had time to self-reflect. Have you been able to have the time to have more self-reflection through this?
1: I have. It hasn't been that the work hasn't slowed down. I think the coronavirus, obviously, it's just a horrific Awful tragedy, and not enough, I mean cannot be. It's just you know and and uh, just the loss of life is just incredible. Um, one of the things that's come of it uh, is the world has slowed down and stopped almost, right? And so you'll see things happening that are extraordinary in the sense of, you know I live in Los Angeles and I can see the Santa Monica Mountains in a way I've never seen them before. They're so clear. The same thing happened in the Himalayas. Right. Climate uh, greenhouse gas emissions have plummeted. Traffic fatalities have plummeted. Right. So there's things that are happening here that we have to take from this uh, and try to carry forward, um, even as we restore our economy. Um, And so, yes, uh, you know, for me, it it isn't so much the work has slowed down. It hasn't. It's that that stuff at night that you were doing as a parent running around to practices and things like that, that has stopped. Right. And so I have had more time to reflect. and, and, uh, And that's been enjoyable. As
0: a public company your your company came out and just the stock went through the roof, and then it you know really dropped dramatically. You've had tremendous volatility in the stock price. How has that impacted you and and how do you keep yourself up during those valleys?
1: Yeah, it's a great question um, at first, it did did bother me um, Uh, But you begin to, and and you know this better than anybody, you begin to realize that they're just sometimes not rational reactions to things in the market. And the more you can understand that, the more you just focus on the long-term nature of your business. And I really do. The the businesses that I admire are those ones that have carried forward that long-term perspective. And so Amazon would be a great example, right? You know, We have to steel ourselves against trying to satisfy quarterly targets. And we have to think about the long-term. If we do that, we can be a massive global protein company. If we don't, we'll be one of many players.
0: You know, I used to meet with Warren Buffett every every year in Omaha. That's amazing. We'd always have lunch at KFC. And he said, put your ego in your business performance, not your stock price. And, yeah. uh I yeah. think that's very wise counsel. You know, I remember yeah. early on in my days at Yum, I I made a stupid mistake of saying we were yum.com and we <laughs> bombed it. We, we, we went down like that at the dot com <laughs> companies too. So, you know, I learned that, you know, uh, you know, I want to ask you one other thing on just competition. Uh, sure. You're, you impossible food CEO. He's pretty bombastic. He makes these big claims that the plant-based products are going to outsell meat by 2035. You know, uh, how do you feel about a statement like that?
1: I, I don't make them. I don't I don't uh think it's a good idea. Um first of all, I think humility is really important part of leadership and uh and I hope that I am a humble person. Um you know, that's how I feel about myself in terms of you know, um I am you know, I'm hard on myself like uh, it's funny uh, uh the other day a colleague of mine didn't like the way I had done something and she was very upfront and blunt about it and it was a performance issue it wasn't like a but uh and I, I agreed but she was so worried about letting me know and I said if you only knew <laughs> what I already thought about what I did <laughs> you wouldn't even worry about it you know <laughs> like so so just that you know being humble and realizing that you're making you know you make a lot of mistakes like that is really important so first of all I just stay away from statements like that Second is antagonistic. I don't yeah. want to be antagonistic. Um, you know, when I work with Kevin and Andre at, at, uh, at KFC and 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 others, David, I want them to be so successful in what we're doing. I want them to succeed. And McDonald's, I've talked very uh, at length about this. You know, um, it, I want these companies to be super successful in partnership. And so let's just focus on that. Let's just focus on, 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 can we provide a healthy product for consumers and do so in a way that everybody wins? That seems to be the right focus.
0: You know, Ethan, one of the things I've just started doing is just to have a little fun at the end of these uh, conversations with a little lightning round. Okay? Mm-hmm. You know, I've had mm-hmm. a blast already with this conversation, Likewise. but I want to do just a real quick lightning round of Q&A. Okay? Sure. Are you ready for this?
1: Uh, I'll try. <laughs> okay.
0: What three words best describe you?
1: Uh, I think Passionate. Um, I think I'm uh, loyal. Um, And, you know, I I think this thing about being intellectually thorough, I really try to get to the bottom of things.
0: Okay. What's your biggest pet peeve?
1: Oh, lack of effort.
0: What's your favorite movie and why?
1: Oh, Hoosiers. I will cry every time I watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Me too.
0: Share a random fact about you that few people would know.
1: Um... I'm trying to use this time uh, during the uh, COVID-19 crisis to learn piano.
0: (laughs) If you could trade places with one person for a day, who would it be and why?
1: You know, it would be one of my children um, so that I could better understand how they view the world and how I could help them.
0: And I have to ask you this one. Do you have a pet?
1: (laughs) <laughs> How long do you have? <laughs>
0: well, that yeah, answers I, that question. <laughs> no, I love animals. I have a lot. Of them. Yeah, you know, yeah, you th- you're an up and coming company, and and so what do you think are the the three most important characteristics you look for, and and the people that you want to really grow your business?
1: Sure, uh, I think it's that. That shining capability, you know, it's very clear to me that that this person is special and and can do things that that maybe others uh, uh, wouldn't be able to do. So you try to find that that, that characteristic. But it's worth nothing if there's not that work ethic. I I will just all day long, I will bet on a work ethic. I mean, absolutely. Uh, And then just character, right? You know, are they going to do the right thing?
0: You mentioned failure. Little earlier, and you're one of these guys. You look at them and you know you've been so successful. What would be your epic fail? Do you have one that really stands out in your your career?
1: Yeah, sure. I failed a lot. I mean, I was fired by my board uh, when I was like 27 um, for uh, uh, we had a disagreement over something, and um, I didn't handle it well. I was, I felt I was right, um, and I, I just sort of told them that. I was right and that, you know, here are the issues of the way they were managing. And they said, <laughs> here are your walking papers. That was a mistake. Um, so that was, <laughs> <laughs> that was a failure. <laughs> but there are other things. I mean, I've, I've made mistakes and, and failed for yeah. sure.
0: Now, So what would you see as your biggest success?
1: In business? Um, for me, the thing is these partnerships that we are having with these QSRs, including KFC, are so important to me. Because it's, it's where we're going to meet the consumer. And so I'd, I'd put those right there
0: yeah you know it's interesting that, that Pepsi and Coke built their business you know in the restaurants getting people to try the product you know the same way so that's you're going about it the same way and I have to ask you one other question uh which is you know can you share a little bit about your family and how you're striving to keep things in balance because you're obviously you do have that intensity
1: yeah um that's that's one that's interesting i mean i um as as important as all this work is to me. Um, I'm, I'm pretty typical in the sense of that, uh, you know, uh, my family is still more important to me for sure. Um, you know, and, uh, if I had to choose between the two, I'd pick my family. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I've always have viewed my kids as like ice cream cones, you know, they're, 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 they're going to melt. You better enjoy them, right. Cause they're going to be up and gone and, and, uh, and so the time is now to enjoy them. And so I do try to be really involved in their lives. And it, generally through sports, you know, my, my son is a very active basketball player and my daughter's a volleyball player. And so um, it's through things like that. Um, but even with this effort over this, this period to learn a new instrument, you know, I bought my, my son a saxophone and uh, my daughter a guitar. <laughs> you know, just, uh, just try to be with them, try to be present because, man, it goes so fast. Yeah,
0: that's, that's, that's just great. You know, I, I have to tell you that I played the saxophone for about six really? months <laughs> and, before I decided I wanted to be a major league baseball player and, and that <laughs> didn't happen. you know, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I, I wanted to be a, a, at some point a basketball player and I, I didn't go that far.
0: But Ethan, I, I have to tell you, I said at the top that you are an incredible human being oh, and more, you. I mean, you. you are a really, really special person. One of those people that you look for, you know, that, that does, does shine. And, uh, you know, I've got one more question for you. Sure. You look out and you see beyond me. What's your future back vision? Sure.
1: sure. And so, just before I answer that, I also just I, I so admire, and I'm not just saying this to, 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 to say it, but the, the 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 journey you've taken in your life is one that's remarkable to me. And the the the, the you know, I'm I'm. I the, the work you're doing to create better leaders today, you know, it's not just going to be listened to by leaders. Like, my kids are going to listen to your podcast because of the value of the conversations you're having. Um, and so I, I just – I really – i right back at you. Um, Thank you. Thank yeah, you, yeah. Ethan. I appreciate it. So the future for Beyond Meat, uh, global protein company, for sure. Um, you know, active, very active in Asia, very active in Europe, very active here in the United States. Um, and, and decoupling uh, meat from animals so that uh, we can continue to enjoy the dishes and the meals and the experiences that we have, uh, but do so in a way uh, that maybe is better for our bodies and, and uh, better for the earth.
0: Well, Ethan, if there's one guy in the world that can make that happen, it's I'm you. Trying. And, I'm trying. Uh, you know, I always say, show me a leader and I'll show you a great business. There's no doubt in my mind, you are the leader. So thank you that. once again for thank being you. on this show.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's a real honor.
0: Well, I know you can tell from this conversation with Ethan that Beyond Meat is into innovation and continuous improvement. And believe me, he and his team are constantly trying to crack the code. You know, in getting ready for this podcast, I actually went to the KFC Test Kitchens, and I had them prepare for me the original chicken patty that they put together with Beyond Meat and the one that they have now. And I have to tell you, the improvement wasn't just incremental. It was quantum, and it just goes to show that what Ethan is working on with his team, it's gonna happen, and he's gonna do it because you saw the passion that he has. Now, you and I both know huge improvement like what's happening at Beyond Meat just doesn't happen. It's a result of an incredible team and an incredible leader, and I'm really struck by how plugged in Ethan is to his purpose. It's the reason he's pushing his team's timelines and not letting them get buried in spreadsheets. It's building a culture of intelligent people who feel empowered to take risk. And that purpose is the force behind his relentless positivity in how he approaches his messaging, his partnerships, and even competition. So are you ready for a little coaching? Let's go. This week, as a part of your weekly personal development plan, I want you to tap into the power of purpose for yourself in these two steps. First, think of something you're not satisfied with. Maybe it's related to your company or your own development or your community or the world at large. Then I want you to connect with the why, why you really want it to be better. When we answer that question honestly, we tap into the power of purpose and that's what will help us lead our teams and ourselves to accomplish amazing things. So do you wanna know how leaders lead? What we learned today is that great leaders tap into the power of purpose. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead, where every Thursday you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world.